disciplines of a disciple. So it's preparation for my sermon. I've read what felt like about a billion books. I read David's Finding Discipleship Environment um, and his sermon on the sword's edge, which you can find on iTunes. Um, Carolyn's sermon that she did a few weeks ago, What God Says from the Deception in the Church series. Derek Prince's book on foundational truth, Entering the Presence of God and Secrets of a Prayer Warrior. And um, Sam's just written a great new session on worship for the Intimacy with God course. I was looking through that too. So a lot of what I've learned um, is just going to be flowing out in this sermon. So credit to those guys for the awesomeness I'm about to bring and Jesus, the author and perfecter of my faith. Um, So we're nearing the end of our discipleship series. So we've got two sermons left tonight and next week. So today, as I said, I'm going to be talking about the daily disciplines of a disciple, and Ben's going to be expounding further next week on um, on how to put them into practice. So last week, Liv spoke about the discipleship lifestyle, and she said there are just two rules. One, allow God the right to speak into your life, and two, allow the Holy Spirit to change you to become like Jesus Christ. And tonight we're going to be looking at the daily disciplines, which are the word, prayer, worship, and making disciples bearing fruit. So what is a disciple? I hope we know this by now. Um, Are you a believer or are you a disciple? A disciple is a, a learner, a follower, an adherent to the teaching of another. A disciple is an imitator of their teacher. As Carolyn said a few weeks ago, a believer claims to have accepted Christ, but you'll see no evidence of this in their lives. A disciple has applied discipline to their lives. They are actively applying God's word to their lives and are changing and producing fruit. They are imitating their teacher and becoming more like Christ every day. Paul urges us to be imitators of God. He says in Ephesians 5-1 in the Amplified, Therefore, be imitators of God. Copy him and follow his example as well-beloved children imitate their father. So we are called to become imitators of God, and we do this by following Jesus. Jesus is the exact representation of the full Godhead, and we know that from um, John 14, 9, where Jesus said, Have I been with all of you for so long a time, and do you not recognize and know me yet, Philip? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father." How can you say then, show us the Father? So Jesus is the exact representation of the Godhead. So if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Um, So our goal is to become like Jesus, and to do that, we must be a disciple of Jesus. And David said in his book, Finding a Discipleship Environment, that a disciple of Jesus is in the process of becoming like Jesus. A disciple of Christ is in the process of talking, thinking, and operating like Jesus. So are you a believer or are you a disciple? When you examine yourself, what do you see? Are you a believer or are you a disciple? 2 Corinthians 13, 5 in the Amplified. Examine and test and evaluate your own selves to see whether you are holding to your faith and showing the proper fruits of it. Test and prove yourselves, not Christ. Do you not yourselves realize and know thoroughly by an ever-increasing experience that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you are counterfeits, disapproved on trial and rejected? So examine yourself. Are you becoming more like Jesus? Do you talk more like him? Do you live more like Jesus? Do you sound more like Jesus? Do you act as he did? Who do you spend time with? Are they like Jesus? 
Examine yourself. Compare yourself today to yourself a year ago, a month ago, two weeks ago. Are you becoming more like Jesus? Are you comfortable where you are or are you being stretched? So Philippians 2, 12 to 13 in the NIV says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more so in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So we must continue to work out, to toil, to work to be free from the bondage of sin, to become more and more like Jesus. And disciple is constantly growing or constantly working to become like Jesus. It is an ongoing process that doesn't stop at salvation. If we grow no further, if there is no further maturity in our lives than from when we are saved, then we are merely believers, but we are called to be disciples. And a disciple of Jesus is in the process of becoming like Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is constantly in the process of becoming more like Jesus in how they talk, think, and act. So Paul and the writer of Hebrews gives us a great picture to understand what the life of a disciple should look like. So Hebrews 12.1, Therefore then, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance and that sin which so readily clings to and entangles us, and let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us. 1 Corinthians 9.24-27, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. And Philippians 3, 12 to 14. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So when we consider our life and how we may attain our goal of becoming like Jesus, we need to think as the athlete does. Consider the Olympic athlete. No one makes it to the Olympics by accident and you don't make it to the Olympics just because you believe you can. You must apply discipline to your life. It requires ability, and hard work and dedication to attain that goal. To become an Olympian is more than just simply training too. You actually need to take a discipline that affects every part of your life. What they think about, what they do, who they see, what they eat, how they rest, they all use that to fuel their training so that they can achieve their goal. I did some reading up on training for the Olympics. It was really funny, actually. One of the, like, the third result on Google was like this wiki how, eight steps to become an Olympian or something like that. I thought it was hilarious. All right, so do you know it's common for athletes to invest four to eight years of their life in training in their sport before they make an Olympic team? 
for runners, it can take them just that long, that amount of time, to actually develop the aerobic base they need um, to compete at that world level. So that's about maximising their lung capacity, their heart strength and lactate tolerance. So they can continue performing even as their muscles um, are flooded with that lactate acid and they hit the wall. And because it takes them just that long to be physically ready, they plan their training schedules annually in up to four years in advance so that they can um, reach those specific performance goals for specific events. And um, they identify their periods of intense training as, long as, their period, as well as their periods of rest. And they even specifically train their bodies for the, the conditions, the physical conditions they'll meet if they're doing an outdoor event. You know, say they live in London and they're competing somewhere with high humidity, they have to train their bodies to be able to still compete at that same level in different climate conditions. So they, they'll hire a coach to provide that outside perspective on their weak areas and overcoming that, as well as um, someone who's going to push them on to the next level before they think they're ready. They seek advice from a nutritionist so that they can fuel their bodies correctly and give them enough energy to compete. They'll prepare their mind. You know, some, some of them envision winning, standing on that podium with that medal. Some of them, it's the track and or how they're going to compete complete each manoeuvre throughout their, their, their race, their event. Some of them speak, seek sponsorship so they can spend as much time as possible in training. A lot of them train, training is their full-time job or they work full-time hours of training plus then a full-time job so they can feed their dream of getting to the Olympics. So it's a, a, pretty, a pretty rigorous lifestyle for these guys. And they do all this to reach their goal to achieve a crown, a medal that will not last, to set a record that will one day be broken. But we are running to receive a crown that will last forever. Our goal is to become like Christ. What are you doing to attain your goal? What plans, what training have you implemented in your life? What disciplines have you implemented in your life to achieve your goal? At the start of grade 12, I decided that I wanted to go to university, but I had no clue what I wanted to study. Did I want to be a doctor, an engineer, an astronaut? I honestly had no clue, but I wanted to go to uni, so I had to get a really high OP score to allow me access to any course that I would end up deciding I wanted to do. So that was my goal, and to achieve it, I decided that I would cut out all TV, which as a high school student was a big deal for me. Um, I'd discipline myself, cut out all that TV, and I'd spend my afternoon and nights just studying, working on my assignments, working towards my goal. So I applied that discipline throughout the year, got to the point where mum's like, uh, Lena, do you want to spend some time with the family? I haven't seen you for a while. Um, you know, I ended up getting a really good OP, and I got topped to cover my classes. I actually got like an early entrance to my university course before the statewide results came out. So yay, I did well. I uh, disciplined myself and I achieved my goal. But when I went to university, I had the same goal. I wanted to do the same things, but I had no discipline and no plan to achieve my goal. I had to carry home a pile of books from the reading list on holidays and this same pile would go back completely unread. I'd study for exams like the last night or the last two nights beforehand. And I'm not one of those freaky people who have a photographic memory, read something one time and they've comprehended it and can understand it for the rest of their life. Last minute studying doesn't work for me. And my assignments are 
I wasn't very disciplined and I didn't put in the effort that I knew I could. So I stopped having discipline in my life and I was no longer able to reach that goal of doing really well at university. Instead of being lauded as a genius, I became average and mediocre. As soon as I lacked discipline, I could not reach my goal. And Paul uses that metaphor of the athlete because it is such a great picture of what the life of a disciple should look like. It takes discipline, strict training, pressing onwards, persistence to achieve our goal of becoming like Christ. And we need to have that singular focus on our goal, a stripping away of every obstruction to achieving our goal. It requires the proper fuel, applying disciplines to our life for us to endure and persist in the journey of life. It's a marathon that we're running, remember? It requires strict training so that we may qualify for the prize. And just like the athlete, we need to have that right foundation, a strong base to be truly effective so that no matter the circumstance, we can continue to be disciples, imitators of Christ and not fall apart when we meet that resistance and it begins to cost. We too are in need of the weak areas in our lives being pointed out and be, to be pushed to the next level even if we don't think we're ready. We need that proper food to give us enough energy to run the race well. We need a disciplined mind. We need to prepare and train for the conditions we'll face ahead. We too need to be disciplined so that our performance, our race, meets the specific needs of our Father so that we can reach the specific performance goals, so to speak, He has in mind for us. Our goal is to become like Christ. What are you doing to attain your goal? What plans, what training have you implemented in your life? What disciplines have you implemented in your life to achieve your goal? So all our focus can be on our career goals, our fitness goals, family goals, finance goals, recreation goals, our, you know, what's it called, the bucket list. And we can lose sight of that most important goal, becoming like Christ. That becoming like Christ is the goal of our lives. And all our planning and discipline needs to be going into that. Maybe, maybe we're the, the opposite. We don't have any goals. We don't have a plan. We don't have discipline because we just think it's all going to happen. We don't really think about it. Just one day it's all going to come together. But we need to run in such a way as to get the prize. In order to reach our goal of becoming like Christ, we need to be disciplined. We have to enact disciplines in our life in order to be a true disciple. We need to be in the Word, hearing and doing what it commands. We need to be prayers. We need to be worshippers. We need to be doing the work of the kingdom that involved in the family business, making disciples, bearing fruit. All right, so the first discipline we need to be doing is the Word. We need to be hearing and doing. And this is the most important discipline. Hearing and applying the word is the test and proof of our discipleship. Everything else hangs off this discipline. If we are hearing and applying the word, we will be accurate in everything else. John 8:31. So Jesus said to those Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them, you are truly my disciples. And Luke 6, 47 to 49. As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. They are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. 
When a flood came, the torrent struck that house but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. And note, the second person who had built the house had heard the words, but they didn't put them into practice and their house failed. Jesus reminds us that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. We need the word. Just as our physical bodies need food to thrive, our spiritual self requires the food of the word to thrive. We will not survive if we are not in the word. We will not mature, we will not survive the storms, and our house will certainly crumble if we are not in the word. And we actually need to be in the word, not just nibbling around the edges, maybe reading our favorite books or our favorite feel-good verses. Just reading about the word says about a particular topic through the the eyes of our favorite Bible teacher. We can't just pick and choose a couple of our favorite verses and and put them on like a band-aid to our latest issue. If we are not reading the word correctly, we will not receive the benefits. So we need to really understand the word. We need to grow in our understanding of the cultural, historical, and textual context of the passages we're reading, and understand why it was written. Understand what this word or that word originally meant. We need to continuously get into the word so we can comprehend it, we can interpret it, and we know how to apply it. And we need to memorize it. You know, just memorize, memorize, memorize. So whenever something comes up, the word just bubbles up within you and you know what what the truth is. Um, David had this really great comment in his sermon, The Sword's Edge. He says, practice what you have read and learn it until it becomes habitual and instinctual. And we need to do that with the word. And we need to do that with all the disciplines. We need to, you know, crucify that flesh and just practice, practice, practice. Make what we're doing a habit until we can do it without thinking. At first, we have to apply ourselves, discipline ourselves, crucify that flesh that doesn't want to do it. And, you know, it takes that thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it until eventually it's a habit and we just react with that as the instinct. You need to get yourself some tools, a dictionary, a commentary, listen to some podcasts. There's a great one on Philippians right now, beloved podcast, you should listen. Um, you know, get, a, get some books on the Word. Um, you are responsible for your growth in the Word. And um, I can tell you when I got some of those tools, how my understanding of the Word has really just grown and just seen that maturity in my life as well. Excuse me. So Derek Prince says, your attitude toward God's word is your attitude towards God himself. You do not love God more than you love his word. You do not obey God more than you obey his word. You do not honor God more than you honor his word. You do not have more room in your heart and life for God than you have for his word. Your love for God is directly related to your love for the word. How much you love God is how much you love the word. Okay, so we're to be sanctified by the truth of the word. And a true disciple is one who is allowing themselves to be changed by the word, to be cut by that conviction and to repent, to actually turn away from our sin. And we need to be constantly bringing our thinking, our speech and our actions in line with the Bible. 
As Carolyn said a few weeks ago, you cannot claim to be a disciple if you are not regularly reading and actively applying the word to your daily life. So we need to be looking in that mirror of the word and allowing the Holy Spirit to show us what he needs to and then acting on that revelation by turning away from our sin and changing what we do. That is the mark of a disciple. A disciple has applied discipline to their lives. They are actively applying God's word to their lives and are changing and producing fruit. They are imitating their teacher and becoming more like Christ every day. Okay, so the first and most important discipline is to be hearing and applying the word. The second discipline is prayer. And I see that there's two facets to this, that communicating with God like a normal relationship and prayer on behalf of people for you know, particular circumstances. So God desires to have relationship with us. Why else did he make us? He is perfect, complete, whole. There is no emptiness in God. There's no absence in God that we were created to fill. We were created simply out of desire. He loves us and he made a way for us to be adopted into his family so that we can call him Father. And I think that if you look back into the Garden of Eden, you can see that that type of relationship God had in mind for us. In Genesis 3, 8, it says, the Lord God, he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, looking for Adam and Eve, and he was calling out to them. And the way it's written to me suggests that this was just a normal activity for them, just like something familiar, a habit that they did. The fact that he was walking through the garden, calling out for them, just, you know, to me expresses a normal familiarity between Adam and Eve and God. You know, he wasn't just coming down from heaven, hello, I am God, burning bush, amazing phenomenon. You know, it was just walking through the garden, calling out their names. There was no show about it. It was just a normal face-to-face familiarity. And we were made for that face-to-face relationship with God, just as we might speak to a friend, an intimacy that through the work of Jesus is available to us. To become like Christ and to be effective disciples, We need to know who he is. So we need to develop that intimacy with him so that we can know who he is. And that is through the word and by prayer, by communicating with God. Jesus says that his sheep know his voice and will not follow any other. So we need to practice that discipline of prayer so that without a shadow of a doubt, we can know the voice of Jesus. We need to be in the habit of seeking that daily guidance of the Holy Spirit so that we're doing the right thing for the right reason at the right time. We show that we are children of God when we are led by the Holy Spirit. So we need to be in that habit of prayer so that we can confidently know the difference between us, God, and anything else. No matter the circumstance, no matter how we're feeling. You know, sometimes when we're in a pressure situation, the emotions can be going and it can be a struggle if we're not in that habit of discerning what's us, what's God, and what's something else. So we need to have that habit so that we recognize the promptings and the voice, the still small voice of God. Know what's us and know what's him. I think actually that's one of the most important lessons as you step up into ministry, that being able to understand and discern what's of God. And was that me? Was that God? And just part of that is just practicing that discipline of prayer as well as knowing the word. Derek Prince said something that really struck me in his book, Secrets of a Prayer Warrior. He said, he did not read that Jesus ever actually taught his disciples how to preach, but he did teach them how to pray. 
During his time here on earth, Jesus was constantly, he was praying, making petitions, often with tears. He would sneak off from the crowds for some time to pray with his father. He taught his disciples how to pray. And that makes me think an effective disciple needs to pray. Praying is about discovering God's will and praying that into being. Prayer is integral to us effectively operating as a disciple, both in imitating Jesus and making disciples. So many of Paul's letters, probably all of them, but I didn't find all the references, but so many of Paul's letters include prayers for the recipients of those letters. You know, you look at Acts, just the pages are littered with examples of the church coming together and praying through all circumstances. That was their mode of operation. And Paul exhorts us to pray continually in every situation. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, he says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 3, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour. Philippians 4, 6 to 7, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Ephesians 6, 18. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And I could go on. In every situation, on all occasions, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we are to be praying constantly for people and circumstances. Right, so the first and most important discipline is to be hearing and applying the word. Secondly, we need to be praying about receiving that daily guidance from God and praying constantly in every circumstance. The third discipline is worship. A true disciple is a worshiper. Worship demonstrates our true submission to God. And it is the only appropriate response to who God is. And worship is both an act and an attitude. Psalm 95, 1 to 7. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is the great God, the great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the ocean and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is not his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us bow down in worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. We see from this scripture that they worship God because of who he is and what he has done for them. A true disciple is a worshipper because they understand more and more of who God is and recognize more and more how great God is. The response to that revelation must be worship. It should bring us to that point of humility, recognizing how good God is and how frail we are by comparison, recognizing how great the work of God is on our behalf. Praise should just pour off our lips in proportion to the magnitude of God's greatness. To worship is a totally God-centered act. 
strips away all our self-centeredness, all our selfishness. It puts our focus where it truly belongs, on God. So we can't be worshipping God if we are focused on ourselves or the circumstances around us. Worship is totally centred on God. And we worship God because He is holy. Apart from God, there is no holiness. So we, on our own, because apart from God, there is no holiness, we cannot understand how to worship God. We must learn from the Bible how to approach God in a way that is acceptable to Him. And we can't take our preconceived ideas of what worship is and worship based on that. We must, we must approach worship in a way that is acceptable to God. And how we worship is not based on what we feel comfortable with or what we feel like doing on that day. Worship is completely God-focused. It is an act of our will to worship. We choose to worship because God desires it. We choose to worship the way God desires it. Psalm 100 verses 4 to 5. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all the generations. The Bible directs us in the way to worship God. First, we enter with thanksgiving. We thank God for what he has done for us. We come with that praise. We say how great God is. Then we worship. Worship has to do with our attitude, our physical attitude and the attitude of our heart. You know, in, in the Bible, most of the words that describe worship all involve a physical position or posture, a physical attitude of the body. This includes bowing our heads, our hands, lifting them up, which is a way of acknowledging God's majesty and sovereignty, spreading out our hands, which indicates that we are open to receive, clapping our hands, bowing our knees in an act of submission to God's sovereignty, falling prostrate, which is the most used description of worship in the Bible, which indicates our total dependence on God, and dancing before the Lord, which to me really shows your submission, as well as that freedom and enjoyment of God. So John 4, 23, 24, tells us the kind of worshippers that our Father desires. A time will come, however, indeed it is already here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking just such people as these as his worshippers. God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So true worshippers are those who worship in spirit and in truth. We need to worship first in the spirit, to be in that direct communion with God, in intimate fellowship, we need to worship in our spirit that has been reborn with our new nature. The only way we can worship God can directly relate to Him is through our new nature. And we need to worship in truth. There can be no lie, no deception, no insincerity in our worship of God. We are not worshipping in truth if we are simply following the forms to be seen to worship. Or the opposite, not worshipping because we are worried what others might think of us. We need to be totally open in our worship without holding anything back from God, worshipping God with that total sincerity. A true disciple is a worshipper. It is the only appropriate response to who God is and it demonstrates our true submission to Him. All right, so the three disciplines. Most, first and most important, hearing and applying the Word. Secondly, we need to be praying. Third, 
we need to be worshippers. And the final thing is that we need to make sure that we are bearing fruit, making disciples. Matthew 28, 18 and 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. A disciple has been commissioned to make disciples. And the measure of a disciple is that we are creating more disciples. If we are imitators of God, then we must do as Jesus did. Jesus made disciples. In fact, it was one of his first acts. What is your fruit? Are you making disciples? Are they becoming more like Jesus? Are those you have influence over becoming like Jesus? That's how we can tell if we are fulfilling the commission, if we are making disciples. We are not called to make believers, but make disciples. Jesus said, this is in John 15 to 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And James says in James 2.26, As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. And if we go back to the parable of the talents, the master was going away. He left 10 talents with one servant, five talents with another, and one talent with another. The 10 talent servant grew another 10 talents. The five-talent servant grew another five talents. The servant who was given one talent, however, did nothing with it but hid his talent in the ground and did not reproduce or grow it like the others. And that servant was thrown out into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we see that there are severe consequences for those who don't bear fruit, for those who don't reproduce. And Jesus' words in John 15, Jesus is the vine and the Father is the gardener. Every branch that does not bear fruit is cut from the vine. Again, we see that there are severe consequences for those who don't bear fruit, for those who don't reproduce. You can go listen again to Ben and Sam's sermon on making and teaching a disciple. But what I wanted to get across today is that we are commanded to make disciples and to bear fruit. You know, we can know all about the disciplines. We can know all about getting into the Word. We can know about prayer. We can know about worship. We know about applying the word, but unless we apply it and actually bear that fruit, that change within us and making disciples, it's useless. We must make disciples. What is your fruit? Are you making disciples? Are they becoming more like Jesus? Are those you have influence over becoming more like Jesus? So that's how we can tell if we're filling the commission, because we are not called to make believers, but disciples. Right, so that the four disciplines, hearing and applying the word, praying, receiving that daily guidance from God and praying constantly in every circumstance. We need to be worshippers and we need to be making disciples. So a disciple is constantly growing or constantly working to become more like Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is constantly in the process of becoming more like Jesus in how they talk, think and act. Our goal is to become like Christ. What are you doing to attain your goal? What plans, what training have you implemented in your life? What disciplines have you implemented in your life to achieve your goal? I'll leave you with 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? 
run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Thank you.